The world is in a state of stacking despair, and solutions are conspicuously absent. The best minds are at odds with one another, and the tugging can turn violent. But thank God the redeemed can enjoy the real solution, and he is out of this world. There is a peace and contentment that the born-again enjoy that passes natural understanding. It is housed in childlike faith that worketh by love. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The world's intellect cannot attain to it, but to the contrary, the fruits of their labor result in uncertainty, frustration, anxiety, turmoil, and an abundance of fear. My childlike faith tells me Romans 8.28 is true and it is mine, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. My childlike faith tells me Proverbs 4.18 is true, and it is mine. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. My childlike faith tells me 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is true, and it is mine. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Childlike faith produces peace that passeth understanding, but only the born again can claim it. Have you been born again, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God? If the answer is no or I don't know, then you are not. For those who follow me in a simple prompt, everything will change in just moments. Today all your sin and its shame will be broken and all Satan's bondages dashed, every single one. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. After you follow me in the prompt and make your peace with God, Confess your salvation to someone. Miraculously, the chains will instantly begin to break. Ready? Let's go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. God said, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 53 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. God said, Philippians three twenty and 21, 
for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Man said, if there is a God of the Bible, and he is a God of love like everybody says, then he will weigh my good against my bad. So I think my chances are good. I don't need a Bible written by mere men or a church to attend. I can worship in the woods. I mean, I don't, but you get the idea. Just don't talk to me about death. I find the idea dreadful. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1015, that will for the 1015th time certify the perfect, supernatural inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these powerful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the saints and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting today. May the love of God fill your heart to overflowing. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares real cognizant life or a real living death after death. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares consciousness apart from the physical brain and demonstrates a dialogue between the soul and the brain. The Bible clearly and redundantly declares an event to come where the children of God, deceased and alive, will be supernaturally caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds, an event known as the great taking up of the church or the rapture. This is the final series in the God Said, Man Said series, The Seven Greatest Mysteries for a Man to Know. God does not do magic. Proverbs 3.19 the Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. A common refrain is knowledge is power, and of course that's true. If that, if then, uh, if then, excuse me, if then would follow that all knowledge is all power. If I had all knowledge, I would never be sick, and I would never have an unhappy day, and I would live forever. God has all knowledge, and consequently all power. The word science means knowledge. God is the God of knowledge, the perfect scientist, mathematician, biologist, economist. Fill in the blank with the whatever type of science you can think of. God does not do magic. Jeremiah 51, 15. He hath made the heaven by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heaven by his understanding. Life after death is clearly addressed in the word of God. The very blessed hope itself is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and what a glorious, death-decimating promise it is. For the redeemed, the expectations are out of this world, literally. The skeptics, including the atheists, evolutionists, academics, and even some theologians have scoffed, but not so much anymore. Their laughter is giving way to the deer-in-the-headlights look. Jesus stumped the Jewish Sadducees in Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three through 33 The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, 
and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. God is the God of the living. All live unto him. When Abraham died, he was buried in the cave of Machpelah, which rests today in the Israeli city of Hebron. Inside that tomb, you'll find the remains of Abraham and Sarah, along with some of the patriarchs, Yet Jesus speaks of Abraham functioning in the service of God. Listen as he recounts this event involving Abraham, which took place 2,000 years after his death. Luke 16, 20-31. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am, in torment, I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and Lazarus, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, a, a father that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Note this is not a parable, as some have suggested, for a parable does not use proper names. In this account, we find full consciousness after death, after the physical brain is legally dead and decaying in the grave. We find full self-awareness, sound reasoning abilities, and sensations of pain for the eternally doomed rich man. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, undeniable proof, every jot and every tittle, Number 20. Is there life after death? Does the mind function after an individual is declared brain dead? The Bible certainly thinks so. Lazarus 16, 22 through 24 speaks of three men who had died. Their entire bodies, brains, eyes, tongues, and all were decaying in the grave, 
yet they fully existed in the spirit realm with bodies, minds, and memories, eyes, tongues, and more. Does neurological science now know that the mind exists outside of the brain? Dick Teresi has been the editor of Science Digest, Longevity, VQ, and Omni, and has written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Atlantic, as well as other publications. You'll find the following excerpts in his book, The Undead. Van Lommel's study on near-death experiences was published in the British medical journal Lancet, a periodical not known for its paranormal bias. But based on his research, Van Lommel has come to the conclusion that the brain neither produces consciousness nor stores memories. Think of a television set. When it is broken or damaged, programs may no longer come through it, but the source is not inside the set. In the same way, consciousness may not be a product of the brain. Teresi goes on to discuss the arguments of the skeptics. None of these reductionist explanations is compelling, though some are plausible, Grayson told me. I don't have much use for people who just spew theories. Van Lommel notes, up until now, death simply meant the end of consciousness, of identity, of life. In the past, these experiences were attributed by a physiological, psychological, pharmacological, or religious reasons. So to a shortage of oxygen, the release of endorphins, receptor blockages, fear of death, hallucinations, religious expectations, or a combination of all these factors— but our research indicates that none of these factors determine whether or not someone has a near-death experience. Teresi quotes Dr. Sam Parnia, a fellow in pulmonary and critical care medicine at Wheel Cornell Medical Center. Subsequently, he adds, There is a period of time, lasting from a few seconds to an hour or more, when emergency medical efforts may succeed in restarting the heart and reversing the dying process. The big question is, can human consciousness continue when we've reached the point of death and all studies have shown that the brain stops functioning? We can't explain how people have consciousness when the brain is flatlined, end of quote. Does the mind's soul continue after the person is declared brain dead? We have pulled a very short sampling of John Burke's 348-page book, Imagine Heaven, for your consideration. With the advent of modern medicine and superior resuscitation techniques, the prevalence of people being brought back from clinical death has soared. In 1982, a Gallup poll reported that 8 million people have had near-death episodes, according to the New York Times. In the last 40 years since Moody coined the term, Studies in the United States and Germany suggest approximately 4.2% of the population has reported a near-death experience. That's one out of every 25 people, or nearly 13 million Americans. The number globally would be in excess of 300 million. Numerous reported cases in which someone is apparently unconscious in a hospital bed and reported seeing things they could not have seen from that bed prompted many doctors and professors to take these stories seriously. Kimberly Clark Sharp, a noted NDA researcher in Seattle, Washington, reported a case study in which a woman named Maria was rushed to the hospital with a severe heart attack. After successful resuscitation, 
Maria told Sharp about her near-death experience, including detailed out-of-body observations of her resuscitation. Then she went one step beyond. She claimed to have traveled outside the hospital, she said, where she observed a tennis shoe on the third-story window ledge of the hospital. Maria provided detailed information about the shoe. It was a man's shoe, she said, left-footed, and dark blue with a wear mark over the little toe and a shoelace tucked under the heel. Sharp went window to window on the hospital's third floor looking on the ledges. Finally, she found the shoe, exactly as Maria had described it. Dr. Long points out, This account stands as remarkably evidential in spite of the efforts of some skeptics to cast doubt. The Lancet, one of the most prestigious medical journals, published another account of a patient having a cardiac arrest and not breathing. Dr. Long recounts a portion of it here. At that time uh, that a tube was being placed in the airway to ventilate the patient, it was noted that he had upper dentures. The dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer while the patient was deeply comatose. Over a week later, the patient reported having an out-of-body experience and accurately described the room he was resuscitated in and the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the cash cart drawer. Note that the patient reported seeing the nurse and those present during his resuscitation, which doesn't occur unless someone is lucid and in an out-of-body state. J.M. Holden, a professor of psychology, studied 93 NDE patients who claimed to make verifiable observations while out of their physical bodies. Of those out-of-body perceptions, 92% were completely accurate, 6% contained some error, and only 1% was completely erroneous, end of quotes. Moses and Elijah had been gone from this earth for many hundreds of years, when we see this account of them and Jesus in Luke 9, 30 and 31. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, and Elias excuse me, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, when, uh, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses dates back to 1,451 years before Christ, and Elijah, 900, excuse me, 896 years Yet we see both functioning in very high cognizance. Oh, there is life after death, all right. Prepare to meet your God. The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Out of Body and Near-Death Experiences and the Skeptics. They are called Out of Body or Near-Death Experiences, NDE. These events are often described as a person's soul leaving his or her body upon death, for instance, and the departing soul being able to view people and events in the room where the body remains. After being resuscitated, the person recalls events they should not know. These experiences often come with descriptions of the proverbial tunnel with a light at its end, or a feeling of peace and love, or an actual visual heavenly experience. Many individuals who have been pronounced dead and have come back to life recount events, images, and conversations they could not have known even ones apart from the hospital environment itself. These individuals function at a high degree of consciousness when they are medically brain-dead. One particular out-of-body or NDE that has God's critics concerned is that of Dr. Eben Alexander, 
one of their own, one with extensive medical credentials, is off the reservation and is very vocal about it. Dr. Alexander, in 2012, published a book that became a number one New York Times bestseller titled Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. When you review the doctor's credentials, you can understand the concern of God's detractors. Dr. Alexander writes, I'm a neurosurgeon. I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1976 with a major in chemistry and earned my M.D. at Duke University Medical School in 1980. During my 11 years of medical school and residency training at Duke, as well as Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard, I focused on neuroendocrinology, the study of the interactions between the nervous system and the endocrine system, the series of glands that release the hormones that direct most of your body's activities. I also spent two of those 11 years investigating how blood vessels in one area of the brain react pathologically when there is bleeding into it from an aneurysm, a syndrome known as cerebral vasospasm. After completing a fellowship in cerebrovascular neurosurgery in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the United Kingdom, I spent 15 years on the faculty of Harvard Medical School as an associate professor of surgery with a specialization in neurosurgery. During those years, I operated on countless patients, many of them with severe life-threatening brain conditions. Most of my research work involved the development of advanced technical procedures, like stereotactic radiosurgery, a technique that allows surgeons to precisely guide beams of radiation to specific targets deep in the brain without affecting adjacent areas. I also helped develop magnetic resonance, image-guided neurosurgical procedure instrumental in repairing hard-to-treat brain conditions like tumors and vascular disorders. During those years, I also authored and co-authored more than 150 chapters and papers for peer-reviewed medical journals and presented my findings at more than 200 medical conferences around the world, end of quote. Life After Death the God of the Bible, Judgment Day. If there is, we got hell to pay, cried the skeptics. The Darwinians needed a naturalistic explanation to dispatch these ideas. As with many, if not all, Dr. Alexander's near-death experience changed his life entirely from a skeptic to a very vocal believer, but it didn't start that way. Of himself, the doctor writes, quite simply, I never held myself open to the idea that there might be anything genuine to the idea that something, that something of us survives the death of the body. I was the quintessential, good-natured, albeit skeptical doctor. And as such, I can tell you that most skeptics aren't really skeptics at all. To be truly skeptical, one must actually examine something and take it seriously. And I, like many doctors, had never taken the time to explore NDEs. I had simply known. They were impossible, end of quote. Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine and feature writer for Scientific American, comments on Dr. Alexander's experience in the April 2013 issue under the title, Proof of Hallucination, with the subhead, Did a Neurosurgeon Go to Heaven? According to Shermer, the following was posed to Dr. Alexander. I asked him how, if his brain was really non-functional, He could have any memory of these experiences, given that memories are a product of neural activity. 
He responded that he believes the mind can exist separately from the brain. How? Where, I inquired. End of quote. The tens of thousands of NDEs the world over testify of the other side that awaits all of us. The Word of God clearly teaches a knowledge that transcends and operates outside the neurological network of the body, and that knowledge that transcends we know as the soul. It is man's soul that Christ came to save. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. A soul can bless. A soul can experience desire, love, bitterness, hatred, vexation, and more. And when one dies, the soul leaves the body. Genesis thirty-five nineteen, referring to death, says, And it came to pass as her soul was departing. 1 Kings seventeen seventeen through 22. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. The soul has knowledge that functions outside the body's brain. Many examples of this reality have been published in the Bible. The example noted above in Luke chapter 16 defines this well. In this chapter, the rich man dies, and his body and his brain are buried in the grave, yet in hell he has eyes to see and the knowledge to translate what his eyes see. The rich man has a tongue and experiences thirst and complains of being in torment in the flames of hell. He knows Abraham and addresses him by name. Abraham was dead to the world for approximately 2,000 years when Jesus Christ gave this account. Abraham's body and brain was buried in the cave of Machpelah, yet he knows of the rich man's situation and has a conversation with him. Again, Mr. Shermer writes, I asked him how, if his brain was really non-functional. He could have any memory of these experiences, given that memories are a product of neural activity. He responded that he believes the mind can exist separately from the brain. How? Where? I inquired. End of quote. The answer to Mr. Shermer's question is that the soul has full knowledge outside the neurological network of the body, and when the body dies, the soul goes on to its eternal destiny. You and I choose whether that destiny is heaven or hell. End of quote. Now some scientists theorize that consciousness can exist outside the physical brain, a concept God's Word declares from the very beginning, knowledge only the Maker could know. Mr. Shermer, who challenged Dr. Alexander excuse me, several years ago, appears to be reconsidering his skepticism. The following passage is from the God Said, Man Said feature, Unashamed, the beautiful book and 6,000 years. 
It was once, and still is to much extent, asserted in neuroscience that when an individual is brain-dead, all of that individual's thoughts and all of his knowing ends. But that dam of unbelief is beginning to crack. Studies of thousands of near-death experiences, including those of those pronounced clinically dead and then revived, are causing a change of scientific minds. Michael Shermer of the Camp of the Ungodly had this to say in Scientific America's July 2017 issue under the title, Who Are You? This idea, part of the consciousness leaving the body after death to travel to a new plane, is not too far afield from a real theory called quantum consciousness proffered by a wide range of people from physicist Roger Penrose to physician Deepak Chopra. Some versions uh, hold that our mind is not strictly a product of our brain and that consciousness exists separately from material substance, so the death of your physical body is not the end of your conscious existence. End of quote. Surely there is full consciousness after the grave, even one that can suffer eternal torment. Today's decisions dictate the outcome of your life, both in the present and eternally, End of quote. Proof that God is, is everywhere. Those who refuse to stop and consider are what the Bible defines as willingly ignorant. A huge global event never seen before approaches swiftly. To the born again, it is the ultimate and most excellent fulfillment of the promises of God, for we will be caught up to meet Jesus Christ our Lord in the clouds. To those who have rejected Christ, it is the ultimate and most terrible moment in time, for even though they will live on for a few months or fewer years, they are damned with no chance of reprieve. They are doomed for all eternity. This is a glaring example of the 180-degree principle. Consider these verses. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14-18 And if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 55. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? How will God bring about this staggering global miracle? Imagine. All the dead in Christ rise first from the grave, and then we who are alive will all be changed. We will put off mortality, 
and put on immortality and will be given new eternal bodies like that of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will rise right up and through whatever obstacles exist above us to meet the Lord in the clouds. God does not do magic. This global unprecedented marvel will be a mesmerizing demonstration of the unparalleled wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the God of creation. Scriptural hints are recorded on how God will accomplish this astounding feat. A quickening process begins at born again, born a real second time, and the saved develop in Christlikeness as they travel Route 7 North obedience. This quickening process is completed when we see Jesus face to face. The word quicken is defined by Noah Webster's 1828 American Dictionary as primarily to make alive, to vivify, to revive or resuscitate, as from death or in inanimate state. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The Holy Ghost, God's quickening force, is physically on board, to bring about the expected transformation God has planned for His children. Dramatic changes are in effect on this side of heaven that leave telltale markers in our lives. The day of salvation is one hallelujah day. Last week I mentioned that a short time after my salvation, a young lady asked me what I did for fun. My answer was that I read my Bible, attended church several times a week, sang and clapped praises unto God and witnessed to others about Christ. She looked at me with an incredulous eye. Had she asked that same question of me just minutes before my salvation, she would have received an answer 180 degrees out. The dead man's answer would have been things that pertain to alcohol and dope, lustful pursuits and carnal entertainments. It's true. Salvation changes a believer's entire way of thinking. Physical changes are clearly measured by neuroscience. The brain actually changes physical form in the body of the born again, and this phenomenon has been dubbed neuroplasticity. How about Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The mind, and thus the physical brain, is transformed. Yes, changes form. The quickening process brings about very real changes. On the day of one's atonement, the new life begins, including a new saved soul, a new mind, a new heart, and a new spirit, even the Holy Spirit dwelling in our bellies. Imagine that. John seven thirty eight and 39, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The quickening, transforming process is afoot, in the body of the redeemed. Jesus speaks in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, 
the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. It is the Spirit of God that gives life. Things are changing in the mortal body of the children of God. Romans 8:11 clearly tells how God is going to do it. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It's by the Holy Ghost that God shall subdue all things unto himself, and he is on board. Revelation 10:7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin the sound, the mystery of God shall be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The mystery is soon to be completed. At the sound of the last trump, God's quickening force, the Holy Ghost, which is already on board, will change our mortal bodies into eternal Christ-like bodies in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Still sound too fantastical for you? Consider what science has accomplished in its very imperfect wisdom. Attempted to reconstruct lost species from ancient DNA. Attempted to create digital immortality by uploading one's entire mental history into the cloud to one day be downloaded into a new cyber body. They call it a husk. Digital immortality is just one way science has attempted to circumvent Christ and their efforts to achieve immortality. They always seek to find another way, which is just how it began with Grandma Eve. John 10, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Instant replay. Number one. Of course there is life after death. God's word said so, and hundreds of millions of near-death experiences say yes. Number two, of course consciousness lives on past the grave. God's word said so, and now medical science theorizes it might be so. Number three, of course a quickening process begins at born again, and God's quickening force, the Holy Ghost, comes on board. God's word said so. Millions of transformed lives testify to it. God does not do magic. The Holy Ghost, God's quickening power, not only has saved your soul, leaving a plethora of spiritual and physical proofs, but is also on board listening for the last trump. Get ready, saints. That trump is preparing to sound. God said, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to beat the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. God said, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 53, Behold, I show you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. God said, Philippians three twenty and 21, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Man said, if there is a God of the Bible, and he is a God of like, like everybody says, then he will weigh my good against my bad. So I think my chances are good. I don't need a Bible written by mere men or a church to attend. I can worship God in the woods. I mean, I don't, but you get the idea. Just don't talk to me about death. I find that idea dreadful. Now you have the record.